Hey there, and welcome back to the Above Board Podcast. Today, we are going to be exploring this interesting intersection of behavioral science and decision-making. I'll be your host for today's episode, John Kennedy, and we're going to unravel the concept known as prospect theory and its application in our financial decision-making. We'll also explore why our minds are wired to fear losses more than we appreciate gains and how the psychological quirk can influence the way we navigate our financial landscape. And you'll also find, if you know me at all, this is not going to be a surprise. I like to navigate these conversations into practical life applications beyond just money. So we're going to talk about a various you know, array of, of things and how this can be applied in our life. And I felt like this actually was a really good topic following the podcast Matt and I recorded two weeks ago, episode 97, about the behavior gap in behavioral finance. So this is an interesting segue, but I'm currently reading this book by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. It's called 10X is Easier Than 2X. If you're watching the YouTube video, I'm pulling this up and holding it right now. Um, this book is all the rage at the moment for good reason. It's very relevant stories and practical advice around this thing called the 80-20 principle. And certainly most of us uh, have probably heard of this term before, but I felt like it was a, a very updated and more contextual version of the current landscape of the world. And something that I try to do when I read books is pull one or two key concepts that stick with me that I can carry forward after I'm done with the book. And what's interesting about this one is though the entire thing is about the Pareto principle, the the 80-20 rule, and increasing this qualitative nature of how you apply yourself, there's one page that stood out to me. And it had to do with dealing with the emotional impact of letting go of the things in your life that you're doing that no longer serve you. And how very, very difficult it is to do that. This is referred to as loss aversion, according to prospect theory. Now, let's back up for a second and just define and understand what prospect theory is. So it's the concept, uh, it's a concept in behavioral economics that examines how individuals perceive and evaluate potential outcomes. So prospect theory essentially revolves around gains and losses relative to a reference point. Gains and losses are not treated equally. Our minds assign different weights to positive and negative changes, and that thus shapes our decision-making process. So now what I want to talk about, which is the premise of this whole uh, episode, is the specific aspect of prospect theory known as loss aversion. It's this emotional pull that basically makes losing hurt more than winning feels good, which yes, if that sounds familiar to you and you've listened to our podcast for a long time, we did an episode called Losing Hurts More Than Winning Feels Good. And and loss aversion, is the, it's the reason that you might, let's say, avoid selling a stock even though you know you should sell it. And there are three specific ways that loss aversion can manifest itself. The first one is called sunk cost bias. The second is the endowment effect. And then finally, we have the consistency principle. So let's talk about sunk cost bias. If I go back to my example that I gave a moment ago, think about maybe that last time you clung on to an underperforming investment. You were driven by the fear of realizing a loss. And you know, I think overcoming sunk cost bias definitely requires a shift of perspective. It's recognizing that past investments, for example, should not dictate present choices and that decisions should instead be based on the potential for future returns. We're not trying to salvage what we've already spent. We need to be looking at things on a go-forward basis. And this one's really hard. For some, this may be their investments. Uh, for others, this may be their business. Like how often do you hear business owners say, you know, they're they're doubling down on their overhead. They're they're 
you know, they're ballooning their debt, their expenses, they keep their just to keep their business going. And they simply, you know, say this thing like they've come too far and they've invested too much money. That is what's known as sunk cost bias. The second one is the endowment effect. So it's this psychological phenomenon that describes the tendency of individuals to assess a higher value to things that they own compared to an equivalent item they don't own. So I'll give a really silly example. Years ago, not not that many years ago, just a couple of years ago, I bought this stand-up desk. And it, it wasn't a whole desk. It actually was this like really heavy contraption that sat over top of my desk. You press a button and it would stand up and then you could like raise and lower it. It was really cool. And it totally served its purpose for me for a while when I had some neck and uh, neck pain and, and, and back pain. And so it was great. And then my wife and I, we moved into a new house and we kind of were evaluating it when we moved. And I said, hey, you know, I don't use this that much anymore. It's really heavy to move, like really heavy. I said, I'm going to sell it. I think I paid like $500 for it. It was like, again, it was an expensive stand-up desk. So I thought, you know, I'll sell this thing online for 400 bucks. Like I paid 500. It's basically brand new still. Sell it for 400. Nobody wanted it. I mean, I, I just list, actually think it's still listed. Like not a single person wanted it. And in reality, if I'm being honest with myself, it's probably going to, if I, if I really wanted to move it and sell it, it's probably going to sell for like 50 bucks. And that's, that's, you know, a really great example of our, our tendency as individuals to overvalue our own possessions. And it makes it really difficult to part with items when we, when we view things like that. Like I paid 500 bucks for it. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to give this away for 50. I'm basically giving it away at 50 bucks. So it's really important to recognize and understand this thing called the endowment effect. Cause I, I feel like it can lead to more objective decision-making in various aspects of our life. And I guess in the example I gave, when it comes to possessions, the ability to let go of things that are no longer serving us, physical things. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel weighed down by stuff. Like I feel weighed down by physical possessions. And I look around even my office and I'm like, well, you know, I have that because it, you know, it was valuable at some time in my life or it cost a lot of money. And so I can't get rid of it now. Like I have to keep it. I have to store it. It's just, it's a lot of times if you really think about it, it's kind of silly. The last one is known as consistency principle. So continuing to do something you've done in order to be viewed by yourself or other people as consistent. So it essentially suggests, like, like let's say someone makes a public commitment or takes a stance on a particular issue. They're then inclined to act in ways to uphold that and justify that commitment in subsequent situations. I have felt this pressure before and the potential loss or let me actually replace the word loss with shame. The shame of not being seen as honoring something that, you know, at one point I felt so great about. I had no choice but to show up for this thing again and again and again. And what was frustrating was I was showing up to an old version of myself, that it, to, to something I committed to, like an older version of myself committed to, and it was no longer serving me. So I realized I got off track about investing in finances, but that was on purpose. Loss aversion goes way beyond the scope of just how we view our money we weigh ourselves down with these internal narratives all the time. And it's really important to be mindful of them if we're going to show up as a better, more improved version of ourselves. Now, listen, like I, you know, I've explained kind of the three concepts of, of how loss aversion can manifest itself. So how do we actually do something about that? I've been reflecting on this myself and after some research, and then I guess more specifically, just what I'll call personal trial and error, I've come up with some things. And these ideas that I'm going to mention are actually in no particular order because I think the application of these things are 
not only equally as important, but they kind of work together in, in symphony with one another. Like you have to do some of these things together. Not all of them, but a lot of them are very connected and interrelated. So the first one is making informed decisions and then framing those decisions positively. I know it seems like a little woo-woo and, and silly, but you know if we emphasize the potential gains rather than losses to shift our focus and reduce the impact of loss aversion, I think that's really important. It seems obvious, but we also want to make informed, educated decisions so that you can then be confident that you made the best possible choice after evaluating all the alternatives. I know that that always makes me feel good. Like if, let's say if we're, we're talking about investing, for example, I want to know choices A, B, C, D, E, all the way down to Z. And then I want to like distill that down to my top five choices and then go through pros and cons and figure out ultimately what is the best thing. It gives me peace of mind to know that I did all that I could control. I might not be able to control the outcome of whatever I picked and like how, if, how it actually does, but I have to let go of what I can't control. But I think if I, you know, evaluated this as best as I could, I can at least feel confident about the decisions that I made. And also part of your process should be evaluating potential gains from alternative choices and to, to help, by the way, make decisions based on the overall value rather than avoiding loss. This term is called evaluating opportunity cost. So the next one is using objective criteria. So it very much ties into the first one. We want to establish clear objective criteria for decision-making so that we're reducing or maybe eliminating altogether the reliance on emotional reactions and we're increasing our rational thinking. So for example, if you're dealing with sunk cost syndrome, asking yourself, would I make the same decision if I wasn't already so invested in it? We don't want to throw good money after bad. And the same can be said for your time. I had a friend share with me recently you know, that she had invested a lot of time into getting this specific credential. It was no longer serving her and she was finding joy in her life where she presently was. Well, that's awesome. Like that's an important thing to identify. We don't want to keep going after something if it's no longer serving us. And maybe we can set that aside, establish this objective criteria, set that aside and realize like, Maybe that will come back around in life and we can get to that at a different stage in life when it makes more sense for us. So the next one is breaking your decisions into smaller steps, dividing, dividing these choices into more manageable components. Um, it makes it feel less overwhelming, but also it mitigates the fear of loss. So for the folks that have listened to us, anyone that's a client of ours, you've definitely heard us talk about this term called dollar cost averaging. It's this idea of like breaking up chunks of your savings plan and putting it into, let's say, the market or some kind of investment on a more systematic basis. So let's say monthly or weekly. There's research that suggests there's value monetarily by doing this, but I find that there's no greater value than allowing you the ability to ease yourself into a decision. So like I said, you're mitigating, like you're breaking up the potential for loss over smaller chunks instead of just putting everything all in at one time. The next one is setting predefined limits. So establishing these thresholds for acceptable losses to avoid being overly influenced by an emotional reaction in the heat of the moment. So in the world of the markets um, and trading, this might look like a stop loss, a stop loss that you would put on your portfolio or like on a specific holding that you have that you're worried about losing below X. So you're going to put a stop loss and make sure that doesn't happen. And then we have two more. The next one is, uh, a lot of these are, are obvious, I find, but I think they're important to hear. 
The next one is diversifying your perspective. So in financial context, this could be diversifying your investments, like diversifying your portfolio, spreading risk, avoiding concentrated losses in one single area. Uh, but on a more life point of view, this could be diversifying your your point of view, maybe, maybe gathering input from others to counteract biases that you have or gain a more comprehensive understanding of a situation. And then last but not least, we have focusing on your long-term goals. Keep the eye on the prize. Matt and I talk about this in almost every episode. I can't, if I had a nickel for every time I heard Matt say, have a plan, like develop a plan and then revisit that plan. And I think part of this is just having this long-term perspective. Once you know you've done all of these other things to minimize this feeling of loss aversion, now we can look towards the future and keep our eyes on the prize. That helps minimize the impact of any short-term losses that we experience. And it aligns our decision-making with a bigger, broader strategic plan. So listen, it's really easy to get wrapped up in this term called loss aversion. It's really easy to let your emotions run wild. Nobody likes losing. Whether it's when it comes to money or your career or just life decisions in general. Losing hurts more than winning feels good. Period. End of story. And I, you know, even financial planners fall into this trap. Like just because I, I, I'm a certified financial planner doesn't mean that I don't like losing. I, I hate it. Like it's not fun. But I hope, if nothing else, after listening to this, you know that a you're not the only one experiencing these emotions, and that b we have some practical ideas and principles that we can apply and help towards this idea that prospect theory calls loss aversion. So, hey, before we wrap up, I want to hear from you. I would love to hear how has loss aversion maybe influenced your financial decisions, maybe share a story, some insight, or even questions with us on social media. So if you go to at CanderPath on any preferred platforms that you like following us, maybe it's Facebook or Instagram, or go to YouTube because you can actually watch this video on YouTube and you can comment in there and then we can reply to you and maybe use some of those ideas for future episodes. So thank you as always for joining us and specifically today for joining me on the exploration of prospect theory and loss aversion. If you found today's episode valuable, please don't forget to subscribe, uh, like, and share this episode. Until next time, I'm John Kennedy signing off. I'll see you next week.